0: The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Jonah chapter three is where we find ourselves. As I said, a few years ago, uh, not here a different church. I I preached a sermon series on the 10 commandments. I can't remember how long it was. I don't remember if I did five weeks, six, seven weeks. I don't remember, but I remember after uh, one of the members of the church came to me and said, you know, I was really disappointed when you said what you would be preaching on in this series, the 10 Commandments. He said, we all know those. We've heard them. That's old hat. And I thought, what in the world is he gonna say for that many weeks when it comes to the 10 Commandments that we don't already know? But he said he was actually really thankful we went through it. Uh, that God used it in his, in his life. And I don't say that to brag on me because if I were to go back and look at those notes, I'd probably hate them. That's what I'm finding as I uh, grow, uh, <laughs> how it's embarrassing, the stuff I maybe had said before. Um, but I say that because I think we approach Jonah that way. I mentioned that the first week we look at Jonah we hear about Jonah and we say i know about that gosh in children's church i went over that every all the time and you know that's the easy hanging fruit for children's ministry to talk about the fish that swallowed a guy and to do crafts with it we we know we know this story but i hope that we've seen over the past 2 weeks and continue the next 2 weeks that god gave us the book of jonah for a reason and not just to teach our kids which we should teach our children about that uh, but for us for us to grow, for us to know more about God, to know about his character, to know who he is. And in, in turn, that causes us then to really worship him and to honor him like we are supposed to do and like we should do. And so, so far as we've went through Jonah, we've, we've seen the first, chap, first two chapters. The first chapter, uh, we saw that God called out to Jonah, said he needed to go to Nineveh, and declare to them that God saw their wickedness. Jonah decided that was not a good idea for him to do, and so he fle- he flees, he runs away, Uh, God gets his attention through a storm. He gets thrown overboard. This is a really small version. Gets thrown overboard. And as we saw last week, he gets swallowed by a fish. And so last week in chapter two, I hope you were here for that, we saw Jonah's prayer, it says, from inside the fish. And in Jonah's prayer, he describes for us kind of how he was drowning and, and all his situation of being thrown into the water, how his, he was wrapped with the, with the seaweed. He was at the bottom of the pit. He said, I was in Sheol and there, but there it says, God, you heard my cry and you saved me. And we saw how God saved him even in the midst of his sin, in the midst of his rebellion and running, how God would use a fish to save Jonah's life. And Jonah would make a vow to God saying, I'll worship you And I will do what you told me to do. And and so at the end of chapter two, in verse 10, it says the Lord spoke to the fish and the fish vomited Jonah out onto onto dry land. Now, I don't know how long from verse 10 to the beginning of chapter three. I don't know how long of time uh, is there. But nonetheless, we're gonna see what Jonah does after this encounter with the fish. So follow along with me in Jonah chapter three. Jonah chapter three is a pretty amazing chapter. It's pretty astonishing of what we see here. And I hope that we can unpack that together this morning and see what God has for us. In verse one and two, we see one of the characteristics of God. We see something very special here because it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God gave Jonah a second chance. Maybe you've had a second chance before. Second chances at times can be very hard to come by. But when we do receive a second chance, they, they can really feel like, like fresh air when we're given them. You know, maybe we, we had done something and we didn't do it as well as we had hoped. Maybe this is at work or something. And you're like, man, I just wish I had another chance to show that I can do what I, what I said I can do. And your boss comes to you and gives you that second chance. And it just feels, it feels good to be able to do that, to be able to have this opportunity to almost redeem yourself, to show that you are worthy, that you are able or capable to do what you said. Or sometimes it's a second chance where you messed up a relationship, right, where you fell short in a relationship or whatever it might be, and that person has given you another opportunity. You know, they've given you another chance to, to, again, maybe prove yourself or whatever it might be, or to redeem yourself. Now, there are times, though, where second chances are very hard to come by. For example, if, if, I, if I gave you some money and trusted you with some money and you failed with that money and you came back to me and said, I, I lost it all, it might not be a big deal if it was $5. But if I gave you $50,000, I'd never give you money again if you squandered it. You'd never see another dime of my money. You would not receive a second chance. It just wouldn't happen. And I'm sure you think that same way as well. And so sometimes second chances are are difficult to come by and just do not seem deserved. Or I don't, yeah, I don't deserve it. Jonah, as we find him here at the beginning of chapter three, if he's done anything, he's messed up his life. He's messed it up completely. He heard from God very clearly in chapter one. Jonah, go do this. And Jonah's response was, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm getting out of here. I'm getting away. And he flees. He even endangers other people's lives. He's been through some crazy situations. And now he finds himself being given, for some reason, a second chance by God. And it's interesting to note as well, Jonah didn't seek after this second chance. He only wanted to hear from God the one time. And his answer was, no, I'm not doing this. But yet God had a plan for Jonah in his life. And so what we see is we see God pursue Jonah. God pursued Jonah and God saved Jonah from Jonah. He saved him from himself. It took a fish. It took a drastic situation. But God pursued Jonah and got Jonah's attention. And so what we see in verses one through two is we see God giving Jonah a second chance. Maybe you remember the story of the prodigal son. But in the story of the prodigal son, You remember the the son wants basically his father dead and says, give me my inheritance, I'm getting out of town. And the father does that for the son, but the son goes off and he squanders it. He squanders everything to where he gets to the point to where he's wanting the food of the pigs that he's taking care of. An embarrassing situation. And it finally dawns on him, I should go back home because the servants of my father are way better off than me. And so he goes back home and what does the father do? The father sees him afar off, runs to him, kisses him, greets him, and what does he Gives him a second chance. Loves him, cares for him. And when you read the prodigal son's story, it seems as if everything is good. The second chance was worth it. The second chance goes well. And everything goes well in that story. And so as we approach Jonah, and we see in verses one through two, Jonah has a second chance. We have hope for Jonah. Here's the second chance he needed. He's going to redeem himself. He will prove himself worthy. He's going to prove himself as a true prophet of God. That is the hope that we have. And actually, as we get through chapter three, it seems all is well. Now, next week, sadly, we'll see that's not the case. But we're thinking, yes, a second chance. This book is going to have a happy ending. It started out rough. It started out with the prophet of God running away. It started with him being thrown into the sea. All this, but it's going to end up good. That is our hope. And so as you get to verses three and four, we see Jonah doing the job of an evangelist. Jonah does what God has told him to do. He rises, it says. He goes to Nineveh, heads there, which is a long journey away. It talks about how big Nineveh is. All this stuff. And Jonah goes into the city, it says a day's journey, and he calls out to them exactly what God had told them to say, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Wouldn't you be, wouldn't you be so excited if today I said, all right, guys, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go into Monroe. We're gonna do a parade right after this. We're gonna parade through the city. And I just need you to tell everybody they're about to be destroyed. Just, just yell it to them. Now, there are some who do that. We see them <laughs> on the corners. What a strategy. I mean, what a great evangelism strategy Jonah has been given by God here to go into town. Because as I, as I read these words, I don't see anything about God. I don't see anything about Yahweh or the Lord. It's actually only five words in Hebrew. And it, that's how it's translated for us. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, of course, it'd be silly of us to think that maybe this is all he said. Uh, it could just be a summary of what he said. Maybe, maybe Jonah even had the opportunity to tell people his whole story. Listen, man, 36 hours ago, I was in a fish. I don't know. I have no idea. We, we don't know. All we have been given are these words. Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is the message that God gave to Jonah to tell the people of Nineveh. And then what do we see happen after these five words? Because for us, this wouldn't be a very effective strategy. But yet Jonah was faithful in declaring what God had told him to say. This is the things that Jonah said. And when we get to verses five through nine, we find something amazing happen. God uses the power of his word. And the Bible tells us all of Nineveh responds to the word of God. Everybody the people start to hear Jonah. They start to hear what he has to say. And it tells us that the people start to repent of their evil. They start to repent of, the, uh, of all the things that they had been doing. You remember what I said about Nineveh. What we know about them historically is they were some of the most evil people ever. The stuff that they did, the things that they would do to their enemies and, and just destroy them and mutilate their bodies and parade it around. This was common sight in town. And all of a sudden, Jonah goes in, shares the word of God with them, what God tells them to say, and people start, start falling to their knees. And not just people. It makes its way all the way to the king of Nineveh. And the king of Nineveh doesn't respond how we would expect the king of Nineveh to do, who already hates Israel, who would rather see Israel destroyed. He doesn't say, I don't care what their God says. I'm going to demolish them. No, what we see is how he responds to the word of God through Jonah, As we see even he himself begins to repent. It reminds me of what Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says. It says, for the word of God is living, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, the people in Nineveh, they seem to have some sort of faith here. There's some sort of faith going on here, and it leads to this repentance of the God that Jonah seems to be talking about. And imagine what that had to be like, what it had to be like in that town for all of these people to be falling on their knees and repenting, for the king to fall, to take off his royal robes, the, the splendor that he would wear. He takes off his robes, falls down, wears sackcloth and ashes, and writes a law into the land. Nobody eat anything. We need to fast. We need to fast. Fast. We need to repent of the things that we are doing. And it's interesting what he says, because what he says in verse 9 isn't a guarantee. The king falls and he says, Who knows? Maybe, just maybe, if we repent, God will relent. Maybe he will relent and not do what Jonah is saying is going to happen. And so his hope is in the character of God to show mercy. To Nineveh. That is what he is hoping for. And so we see God moving in a miraculous way in this town. And the way that he does it, at least what we have, is through five words, five Hebrew words. But here's here's what makes those five words so special they're God's words, it's his word. Not some man, this isn't something Jonah came up with. It's not some strategy that Jonah thought of. It is what God wanted to be said, and it's what is said. And what we see happening is we see that double two-edged sword cutting to the bone and to the marrow of these people. And they are starting to repent and just asking God, if you might relent from this. And so when we get to verse 10, the last verse of chapter 3, as we see this story unfold, we wonder what God will do. And in a beautiful picture of God's character, of what we see in him, we see him show mercy on those and who in our eyes, and definitely in Jonah's eyes, did not deserve it. Those people did not deserve the mercy of God. What they deserved was to be destroyed. In fact, Jonah probably had a problem with the whole 40-day thing. How about 40 minutes These people need to be gone. They need to be destroyed. But yet God, because these people repent, it says that God relents. It says that he relents of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. What a beautiful picture of God's mercy. What a beautiful picture of the characteristic of God, his steadfast love, his patience with people, the mercy that he continues to pour out on people, so as we look at chapter three, what are some things that we can learn together? Well, I think there's three things that I wanna, I wanna point out for us this morning. The first one is this. We see in Jonah chapter three the truth that God uses foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Jonah, just to me, seemed like a bad option. There's a lot of people God, I'm sure, could have used to go to Nineveh and to, and to share with them these words that he had for them. But for some reason, God chose Jonah to be the one to do this. And all we really have seen in Jonah here, right, is bad. We haven't seen anything good from him. All we've seen is bad. And we've seen this failure, and then we see him come to this near-death experience and so I would ask myself, wouldn't it be smarter if God would choose somebody else? Maybe, maybe go to somebody with a clean slate. Maybe go to somebody who has a higher willingness to serve him. Wouldn't that be someone that God could use more anyways? I mean, he doesn't have all this baggage. Doesn't have all this stuff in his life that others might point out. But no, we see God use Jonah. And in using Jonah, he shows us a couple things, again, about himself and also in his dealings with people. Number one, it shows us, Despite all of Jonah's flaws, God loved Jonah. God loved Jonah. God loved Jonah the first time he asked him to do something, and God again loved Jonah the second time he had to ask him to do something. Now, parents in the room, you know how much you hate to tell your kids something twice. I almost counted yesterday, I told my family probably probably 47 times yesterday to shut the door. Could you just shut the door? It's a sliding door, it's not that hard, it's lubed up really good. Whoop, two fingers, shut the door. Five minutes later, shut the door. Do you know how frustrated I was? I mean, so exceedingly frustrated. And so when I see Jonah, again, the dad in me says, you're only hearing it once. One time's all you get. And then I'm done with you. I don't need you anymore. But yet God loved Jonah. And he loved him so much that even in his rebellion, God loved him enough to reach out for him to seek after him, to make him into the man God wanted him to be so that he could then go and be used for the service of God. And so God had this plan for Jonah. And it's amazing to see how God used all of Jonah's life, all of his circumstances, and he used all of Jonah's circumstances for good. Everything about Jonah's life, God ended up using for good. Maybe you've heard this verse. Maybe it's been read to you and you've been through a difficult situation and maybe you're sick of hearing it. But Romans chapter eight, verse 28 tells us this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now we say, what does this mean? I've heard this read over people who have cancer and they're going into surgery. Remember, all things work together for good. And we wonder, what does that mean? Are you telling me that the good that's gonna happen is I'm gonna be cancer free? No, that's not what that verse is getting at. That's not what's being talked about here. What's, what, what, what is happening here is we see this in the life of Jonah, all the bad things that Jonah did, all the rebellion, all the running, all the going onto to the ship, <clears throat> all of the "You've got to throw me overboard. I'm not willing to do it myself. You're going to throw me overboard." All this stuff, all in the fish's guts, all the prayers, God ended up using all of these things in Jonah's life for what? for a whole city to repent a whole city to repent. Every bad decision Jonah made, every good decision Jonah made, God had used that to lead him to this part in his life to where God was going to use him and he was gonna use it for good. And as you'll see in the next chapter, it wasn't for Jonah's good. Jonah actually is pretty ticked off at what happened. But it was for the good of 120,000 people, scripture tells us. 120,000 people. God used all of these things in Jonah's life. I don't know what you think about your life. I come across people all the time who tell me they are too bad for God. They've done too much bad stuff for him to forgive them or to use them. Well, I'm here to tell you today that scripture tells us something very different. God can use all the things in your life and he can use them for good. The way you acted in high school and in college, maybe you're embarrassed to talk about it. But God has taken you through a journey in your life and in all your sin, God can use that for good, for his glory, for his purposes. Notice it says, for those called according to his name, for his purposes to be done. God can do that in your life. You're not so far out of reach. If anybody was out of reach, it was Jonah. He wanted nothing to do with God, but yet God used him. God used this foolish man for a whole city to come to faith in him. Paul would talk about this to the city of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 27 to 29. It tells us, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I don't know what you think about yourself. You might think you're nothing. I would say that's the perfect spot. That's the perfect spot for God to use you. If you really feel that way, you say, I, I'm not worth anything. I don't know how anybody could use me. I'm, I struggle with this and I struggle with that. I would say you are to the point right now where God can use you if by faith you would trust in him if by faith you would obey his word and do the things that he's called to do. Because, I mean, that's what Jonah did. Jonah sought repentance in the fish. You remember? It vomited him out. God said, go do this. And what is Jonah doing? He's obeying. He's going and he's doing what God has called him to do now. Despite all of those life circumstances before, he's doing what God has called him to do and we see God using him mightily. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 41, I'm bringing this up every week on purpose to show us how Jesus fits into this Jonah story. But in Matthew 38 through 41, Jesus, I believe, is pointing us to what I just read in 1 Corinthians as well because remember what he said. This is Matthew 12. He says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, then the question would be, what is that? What's the sign of the prophet Jonah? It says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Well, what is Jesus getting at here? You see, the Pharisees and the, and the scribes and them, they wanted a sign. They, they said, we want to see something miraculous, Jesus, to prove who you are. Now, all the healings apparently weren't enough. The deaf hearing, the blind seeing, the mute being made to talk, the dead coming back to life, broken legs being healed, all these different things apparently wasn't enough for the Pharisees. And they said, we need more. And Jesus' response to them is, you don't need more. What you're getting is the sign of Jonah. You will get the sign of Jonah. And what is Jesus doing here? He's pointing them to his death that is about to come up. Jesus' death would be the sign that they would need to know the truth. But yet this still would not be enough for them. That's what Jesus says. At least when Jonah went into Nineveh and called them to repent, they all repented. But listen, Nineveh is going to judge you. Why? Because when you see the sign of Jonah, you're gonna do nothing about it. In fact, you're gonna be the one killing me. What's happening there? What's the situation that's going on there? I'll tell you, death is weak. Death is foolish. Death death isn't for the strong and for the mighty. Death doesn't make sense. You're telling me that you are going to win over all these people through death? That's dumb. That's foolish. That's unwise. But that's why Paul would say God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Because in Jesus' death that he shows his victory. In death, Jesus produces life. In his death, he gives us life. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, It's a death experience that we're reading there. He he had lost it all. He had gone through what Jesus is talking about here. You must lose your life in order to be given life. Jonah had basically lost his life. He'd been given life and now he's going and he's serving God and we see God using him. Jesus, what he's talking about here is saying, I have to lose my life in order for others to have life saying, I'm the grain of wheat that must be planted. I'm the wheat that must die. But when I die, I produce more. It doesn't make sense to us logically. But again, God uses the foolish things to shame the wise. When you talk about us as Christians, those of us who by faith believe in Christ, we've been saved by God's grace through Jesus. There's a verse in Galatians chapter two that shows us of how we then connect to this loss of life. Because Paul would say to the Galatians, to the church there, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is what we declare. I've never been in the guts of a fish. If I'm being honest, I'm I don't even know what the closest to death I've ever been. I don't know if I've ever really been that close. I mean, I've been pretty sick before and it hurt and it was frustrating. I had meningitis, that was really rough, remember? But I don't know how close I was to dying. And so it's hard for me to say, I've been through that, I I know, I know exactly what Jesus is talking about here. I haven't faced that. But I know that my faith in Christ, by, by trusting my faith in Christ, what has happened, What the Bible says has happened is I have died with Christ, just like Paul's saying there in Galatians. Tim, if you, by faith, believe in my son and accept this grace that is being given to you, this is what's happening. You are dying to yourself, and it is no longer you that live, but Christ that lives in you. Christian, you need to hear me say that. It is no longer you who lives, but it's Christ who lives in you one of the most difficult things for me to hear from Christians in America is this, it's my right, it's my right, it's my right. And I understand what they're saying. And I think we could speak of that in a very scriptural way that is true. But remember this, as Christians, we've given up everything for Christ. It's his right. It's his right to tell me what to do. It's his right to lead me. It's his right to guide me. It's his right. My life is his. I've handed over all my rights to him. Why? For his righteousness, because of his salvation that he has given me. It's worth it. I want to live for him. I want to be used by him. Thus I've died to myself. It's no longer about Tim. It's about him in everything and in all things. That's one of the things that we see. That's what Jonah was doing here. I don't want to do this, but now God saved him. I will do it. And God uses him And so this is the second thing I think we can learn from this passage as we see the power of God. We see how powerful he is. Think of some of of God's power that we've witnessed so far in Jonah. He speaks to Jonah very clearly. He causes a great storm to come. He he has the the shipmates roll the dice and cast lot. Whose problem is this? And it just happens to fall to Jonah. When Jonah gets thrown overboard, the Bible tells us the sea calms completely. He then saves Jonah with a fish. He has Jonah speak to Nineveh with just a few words, and now we see a whole city, all of Nineveh, repenting on their face before the Lord. God's power is all throughout this book. We see God's power over creation, with the storm, with the fish, with all these things. How he can make creation do whatever it wants, whatever he wants, he controls it all, he's made it. But we also see God's power Shown through his word, and how the power of his word can change someone's heart, even people who we think there's no way this is ever going to penetrate that heart of stone. But we see it happen. It wasn't because of the might of Jonah or the wisdom of Jonah that we see all of these people repent, it was because of God's word. And I think this is something that we tend to forget. I know it's something that I can tend to forget, and I can fall into these different traps. But God's word is enough to save a soul. God's word is what is needed to save somebody. 1 Timothy chapter three, verse 16. It tells us all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is what we do as a church This is what we do as Christians. We tell people the word of God and we trust that the word of God is enough to change a heart. I'm just afraid that so many Christians today don't believe this anymore. You think that what it takes to see somebody come to know the Lord is yes, you might tell them some of the Bible, but you think it's more about your actions. Will they see Jesus living in me? And we make it all about us. That, that That's what's gonna take. Yeah, Tim, tell them the word of God, but then also make sure you tell them all the accolades you've done. Tell them how good of a husband you are or how good of a dad you are or how you pray this many times a day. Make sure you tell them you've read the Bible 14 times and you know all about it because that's what, it, that's what it's gonna take and they're gonna be like, man, this guy is real. I want what he has, therefore I'm gonna be a Christian. We think that's where the power lies. The power doesn't lie in me. The power doesn't lie in you. I have no doubt, as we read chapter four of Jonah, at least halfway through Jonah evangelizing, he was already ticked off. Oh my gosh, this is working. <laughs> no, this wasn't what I thought would happen. I thought... They would get destroyed. This is working. And all I'm telling them is repent because in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. I'm not even telling them this great story yet. They haven't even heard about what's going on in my life. How is this happening? I'll tell you how it's happening. God's word works. It's what saved you if you're a Christian. It's what saved me as a Christian. The power of his word is the power that the church has. It's the power that we hold on to. And so our job in evangelizing to the lost is simply this, tell them what God's word says. Tell them what it says. Yes, be faithful to live out God's word. Yes, I'm not not saying God doesn't use that ever in people's lives. Yes, be faithful to live out God's word. Guess you should do that anyways. Even if people aren't coming to know the Lord because of your walk with the Lord, you should still walk with him. Obey him, honor him, worship him. He deserves it. He saved you. But let them know the word of God. If you're trying to witness people just by your actions, I gotta tell you something. Nobody's watching you as much as you think they are. You think you're way more special than you really are. They're not staring at you. If you teach in the school, I know teachers are about to go back. What a great place to evangelize. But I gotta be honest with you, teachers, your students aren't looking at you saying, what an awesome Christian she is. No, they're saying, I hate her. She gave me homework. <laughs> I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna be in that class. We have to be willing to share the word of God with them. Now, I know this is a daunting thing because many of you are saying, I don't know it that well. There's ways to know it more. Oh, let, me little, let me give a little commercial Did you know on Sundays we don't meet just at 10.30? We actually meet at nine o'clock, and these rooms are filled with kids learning about Jesus with teachers who've been faithful to teach them about it. Back in the fellowship hall, Pastor Spencer teaches a class to teach you the Word of God, how to know it, how to utilize it, how to share it with other people. We have other classes that are going on where teachers are doing the exact same thing. We find that to be a very important task here at Menorah Missionary Baptist Church to train you to know the Word of God, and this is why. We believe the word of God is powerful. That if all you know at least is the word of God, then go and share it with them. You might be the most awkward person ever talking to somebody, but tell them the word of God. We believe God could use you. And the words that you're sharing is you're faithful to share his word to reach somebody with the gospel, for them to come to know Christ. We need to make sure we know the word of God because God shows his power through his word but then lastly, I think the last thing we need to point out in Jonah chapter three is the fact that we see a very merciful God. The book of Jonah is more about God than it's ever about Jonah. And one thing we learn about God as we read Jonah, is we read that he is full of mercy. The amazing way here that God deals with Jonah, a prophet of Israel in rebellion, Yet God still loves him enough to pursue him. And not just pursue him to bring him back into the fold. No, he pursues him to use him. To use him for his glory and for his purposes and for his honor. This is only because of God's characteristic of mercy that he pours out in Jonah and in Jonah's life. Or how about the way we see in chapter three that God saves Nineveh, a people of corruption, a people full of hatred and cruelty, yet still shown love and mercy when they fall on their knees and repent before God. When they give their life over to the Lord, God doesn't say too late, enough's enough. I've already determined this and it's going to happen. No, God shows his mercy on these people and he he loves them. And the Bible says he relents. I don't have time to talk about relenting and God relenting. It's an interesting study, something maybe we'll talk about later. But it shows us his great mercy. Even the king, if anyone deserved to die, it would be the king. He's the one most guilty, but yet the king is given forgiveness when he falls on his face before God. This is the God that we see all through the Bible. We see a God of steadfast love That word comes up again, Hesed, a God of steadfast love who continues to show his love to Israel even when they disobey him over and over and over again. Constantly failing, constantly falling short, but God is constantly loving them, constantly showing them his steadfast love even when they do not deserve it. Or how we see God relent from punishment. This isn't the only time the Bible tells us that God doesn't punish Gentiles when they repent. There's other places we see God do this and he gives them mercy and shows them mercy. I was even reading this week in Mark uh, when, when Jesus deals with the, with the woman who's a Gentile who comes to him and asks, and asks for uh, forgiveness and asks for some things from Jesus. And you remember Jesus has that really horrible response it seems to her saying, why would I care about the dogs over here? You're no, you're not an Israelite, you're well, all these things we see. He says, no, and the woman's response was, but even the dogs eat the scraps that fall under the table. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, too bad, we see his mercy. Oh, your faith, your faith has made you whole. Right, he, we see that relenting again of, of sin because God is a God of mercy. Through Jesus today, there are many of us who would raise our hands and say, we have found his mercy through Christ. We have been given his mercy. And one of the books that I've been using some, it comes from Core Christianity. It's their little Bible study on the book of Jonah. It's written by a pastor named Adriel Sanchez. He said this, and I wanted to read it for you because I thought it was really good the way he worded it. He says, why does God relent from the judgment against you? Because like the king of Nineveh, our king, Jesus, arose from his throne, took off the splendor of his royal robe, took upon himself something much lower than sackcloth, human flesh. He came down to the dust of the earth. He sat in ashes. But Jesus didn't accept this humiliation because he had sinned. No sword hung over his head. No judgment threatened him. He emptied himself of his infinite royal splendor because the judgment threatened you and me. When you're in Christ, when you turn your eyes to Jesus, the judgment that threatened you is removed. God relents eternally. It is only through the cross that we have peace with God. And it is only through the cross that our inner contradictions find resolution. God is utterly just and infinitely merciful. He executes justice on the cross so that the guilty who look to Christ can find grace. By turning from our sin to Jesus, our longing for both justice and mercy are satisfied. It's not a far stretch to go from Jonah to Jesus. It's not a far stretch to see this and Maybe some of you are thinking, well, like the king and like them, I'll repent and God will honor my repentance and save me. It's nothing that we do. And that's the point that gets brought up here so beautiful. That's why I wanted to read it. Our king took off his royal robes, came here, and while the king did his best to Nineveh to get the word out to save the city, Jesus actually in his power and might has the ability to save us by his life that he lived. As he said, he relents and shows us mercy when we trust in God's grace and what he did with Christ on the cross. I hope that's you this morning. I hope that you've trusted in him. I I hope that you've experienced the mercy of God. I hope you're not continually running and pushing it away, thinking, I'm too bad for that. God God can't save me. God can't use me. I'm destined for hell, and so be it. That's not true. God saves sinners, bad sinners, horrible sinners like Jonah, like me, and like you. And his mercy is found. His mercy is there and it's found at the cross. And what Jesus did for you, and what Jesus did for me, and what we could not do for ourselves, Christ has done it. Jesus would say, you've been given the sign of Jonah. Do you believe that? The Pharisees would say, no, that's too foolish. But what about you? Do you believe in the sign of Jonah, in Jesus's death, his burial, and his resurrection? Do you believe in that for the forgiveness of your sins, for salvation? If you do, then praise God for his mercy. If you don't, would you? Maybe the Holy Spirit's working in your life this morning and you're saying, man, I, for the first time, I'm, I'm really thinking this is true. For the first time I'm really thinking that maybe, maybe what the pastor's talking about is talking to me. That's the Holy Spirit working in your life. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself, saying this is, this is truth. Jesus has died for you. Would you by faith just accept that this morning and thank Jesus for what he's done for your life? The Bible says when you do that by faith, that you'll be forgiven, that you've received God's grace. I'd love if that would happen in your life this morning. And we trust that God is working. Let's bow together, let's pray and have a time to respond to the word of God today. God, I thank you for what we see in Jonah chapter three. I'm thankful that Jonah was obedient and was willing to uh, do what you asked him to do, to go into that town. That had to be scary for him. For all he knew, he was gonna die as soon as he stepped foot in that town and started saying something. But yet he trusted you and by faith went into Nineveh. By faith and being obedient to you, he shared the words that you had him share. And God, what you've shown us in this chapter is your mercy on people, on your creation. How the town of Nineveh would respond and repent, how you would cast out your mercy on them. God, we, we thank you for that. God, I pray that you would help us in our life to never feel that we are too far from you, that we can't be forgiven. God, as Christians especially, help us to remember that when you saved us by your grace, you saved us completely, past, present, future. God, that doesn't stop us from still coming to you and repenting of sin daily in our life, but God, it enables us that when we come to you to repent of sin, we know that you forgive us because you already have. And God, that's a great gift that you give us as Christians. And so help us to be faithful, to remember that, to know that, to hold to that. But God, no doubt there's people here who just, they haven't trusted in you with their life. They continue to think they can do it on their own. They think maybe it's for older people to a later time in their life. God, help them to see your truth this morning. Open their eyes, crush their heart of stone. And God, I pray that you would save them by your grace. God, help us also as Christians to be faithful to the things you call us to. Like I said, Jonah was faithful to go. God, help us to be faithful in our lives as we go to work, as we meet with family, as we do things with friends. Help us to be faithful to what you call us to do. But God, I pray that you would help us to know your word, that you would saturate our heart with your word, that we would meditate on it so that we can speak it and share it with others because God, that's, that's the power that you use. So God, I, I pray that you would use your word in our hearts this morning to cut down to the bone and the marrow. And God, oftentimes that hurts, it's very revealing, but God, we know that it draws us closer to you and so we praise you for those moments. So God, I just pray now that you'd help us to respond to your word how we should. Help us to sing this song as praise and worship to you, to the God of power, to the God of mercy. God, we love you this morning. We worship you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.